Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Each week at this time, you can hear beautiful music and a powerful message from God's Word by our pastor, Dr. Randy Ray. Stay tuned for the next 60 minutes to Family Bible Hour. The title of the message is Morality. Uh, <clears throat> we're looking at a series that we've titled Our Wicked Ways. It's based on 2 Chronicles 7.14. If you will, I'd like for you to quote this with me, uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What kind of a condition is our world in today? According to a series uh, of studies, research studies in 2012 at four major universities uh, about cheating, uh, we found that cheating often provides certain psychological rewards uh, that motivate people to act unethically. <clears throat> cheating can even give some people what is referred to as a cheater's high. In one experiment, uh, researchers from the University of Washington's Foster School of Business asked subjects to predict how they would feel about cheating. As the researchers had expected, most of the subjects predicted they'd feel bad about cheating. Then they conducted an experience, uh, experiment in which 179 uh, subjects had to unscramble as many words as possible in a 15-minute period of time. Uh, earning money for each word that was completed. When the subjects were offered a chance to cheat, 41% of the participants did so. Right after the test, the participants took a test that measured how good they felt at that moment after they had cheated. Surprisingly, the cheaters reported high positive feelings, more so than the non-cheaters, such as excitement. And there was no difference in negative feelings such as guilt from those of the non-cheaters. A second study with 205 participants revealed even more disturbing results. Once again, the participants were given a test that allowed the chance to cheat. And cheaters, <clears throat> once again, felt better than the non-cheaters. But this time, the cheaters also rated themselves higher on how they felt. For instance, they felt clever, uh, and capable, and accomplished and satisfied, even superior. In other words, they not only felt good about cheating, they also felt smug about it. That's the world in which we live today. You say, well, what's wrong with those young people? Oh, they didn't get there overnight, and it's not just the young people. Cheating has become a way of life in America. In fact, cheating is expected in America and in the world. It's even provided for. It's provided for in the, the prices that you pay. When you go to the mall and shop, there is a, a premium built into everything that you're going to buy there because of the cheating, because of the theft. It's built into insurance <coughs> premiums, and it's built into speed limits on the, on the highway. Unless you're highly unusual, you cheat or have cheated at something. You may have to think about it, but there's probably no one here who hasn't had a, uh, an idea that a rule was too fair uh, or, or too <clears throat> unfair or that a price was too high or that a speed limit was too low. 
And so we just cheated a little bit. We cheat in what we think are acceptable ways. And each breach of honest moral living moves the guardrails further away from the path uh, that we should be walking. Each time that, that we cheat at anything, it, it causes that road to destruction that Jesus spoke of to get broader and broader. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now as we continue our study of our wicked ways, I want us to examine one kind of, of cheating that our society here in America and in the uttermost parts of the earth, one kind of, of cheating that our society is obsessed with, and that's moral cheating. We are just obsessed with that. From pornography to homosexuality, the immoral decline of our society has made cheating a way of life. If it cannot be stopped in churches and among Christians, then it cannot be stopped. And so we have to address it. And let me depart from, from my manuscript for a moment and just say this. I lay most of the problems that I'm about to talk about, I lay them squarely at the feet of the clergy in America. Squarely at the feet of people like me. Because we have lost our way and lost our mission in crying out against sin and crying for the grace of God. We want to preach uh, salvation, but we do not want to preach repentance. These are our wicked ways. Let's begin with the wisdom from the book of Proverbs, chapter 6 and verse 20. My son, your father's commandment, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and a, a teaching, a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Skipping down to verse 32. He who <clears throat> commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounded and wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace, disgrace will not be wiped away. Now I want to begin with a word of caution. Um, you may disagree with parts of the message today. I, in fact, I, I don't expect everybody to feel good about the message today. My prayer and desire is to be able to speak the biblical truth in a loving way. 
And sometimes biblical truth is hard to speak because it sounds unloving. It sounds judgmental, and it is. Please do not misunderstand a sense of conviction for a hardness toward any part of society or towards someone that you love. Today, as I bring this message, you're going to think about people who you care about, people who you love. When it comes to biblical morality, it just is what it is, regardless of the mores of society. Now, let's start with this. Let's talk about a morality of merit. The the passage that we just read from Proverbs 6 assumes that the law of the father and the teachings of the mother have a moral compass in them that points toward a life of virtue, of merit and purity and honor. The the passage that we just read assumes that, that parents are teaching their children the right thing and the right way. This is not the world in which we are living today. Certainly there are believers and non-believers alike who still have a moral compass within them, and they continue to point their children to a path that can be blessed by the Lord. But such are in the minority today. The the morality of chastity, the morality of of, uh, uh, keeping yourself sexually and morally pure is in a minority today. Let's look at some basic decisions that people like us should be able to make regarding morality. These are what I will call merit badges, moral merit badges. We ought to try to earn these merit badges in our lives, first of all. There's the merit badge of the visual. Psalm 101 and verse 3 says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Let me tell you a little story from my childhood. When I was a boy, about 10 years old or so, when I was a boy, one of my best friends was Phil Williams. He was a year older than me. He was an only child. And we attended church together. We attended church together all the way through my childhood years. Phil lived just down the street from me. I lived at the corner of Rosebank and Preston, and Phil lived down the hill on Preston uh, drive. And uh, oftentimes we would meet at the bottom of the hill at Preston and we would play in the creek there. I don't know that the creek ever had a name, but uh, we would play in the creek there. It was a pretty good creek. And uh, you wouldn't think that much could happen, I guess, at a creek or at a culvert. Uh, there's a culvert that went under the road and, and uh, there, there was always water in the culvert. And, and you wouldn't think that much could happen, but we found all kinds of adventure down there. Uh, we, we did some things. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you some things that probably you wish that I wouldn't tell you, but, uh, you know, it, it, I just, this is real. Uh, we smoked grapevines. We, uh, <clears throat> we, we learned to smoke grapevines, and you could literally clip a... Now, don't try this, kids. It's bad for your health. Uh, <clears throat> but we, we could literally would clip these grapevines off, and, and uh, we would... Um, we would uh, smoke them. We'd bring matches down there, and we would smoke those grapevines. Uh, we skipped rocks uh, down there. When the water was up a little bit, you could skip rocks. We, we skipped rocks. One day, one memorable day, we found a magazine 
that someone had thrown out of their car as they were going down Preston Drive. We, we found this magazine, and we'd never seen a magazine like this before. And as we opened that magazine and we looked, it was mainly pictures, and as we looked, we thought we were seeing aliens from outer space. Uh, we'd never seen anything like that before. And, and uh, you know, and, and it, it took us a couple of hours to, uh, <clears throat> to see that magazine. After we saw that magazine that day, it was more difficult for us to concentrate at school. Uh, and at church, we couldn't wait to tell Donnie Hines and Dwayne Dickens and Wayne Scott and our other friends of what we had found. We didn't realize that that day when I was 10 and my friend was 11, we didn't realize that there was an epic battle that began that day that would impact our lives forever. Pornography has become so much more prominent since that day at the creek on Preston Drive in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, it's only a click away, and it's not necessarily at a, a culvert uh, down under the road on Preston Drive. It's at grandmother's house on her computer if grandmother's not looking and can't keep it filtered out. It's right there. It's, it's on iPads and it's on smartphones. It's robbing our children of their innocence. It's robbing men of their peace of mind. It is a wicked way that is in the way of the healing and the blessing that God wants to bring to our land. We are in serious need of the virtue of vision in the world in which we live today. We need to make a new covenant with ourselves and with God not to set any wicked thing before our eyes. Not only do we need the merit badge of the visual, but we need the merit badge of the verbal. One thing that I've learned over the years <clears throat> is that men are most attracted to what they see and women are most attracted to what they hear. There is a basic difference between men and women. Now, I realize that some of those lines have been blurred with society, but still it's basically the same. You shove a girl in a boy's locker room and she'll scream and cover her eyes and somebody has to take her and drag her out of the boy's locker room. You shove a boy in a girl's locker room and he has to be drug out as well but the circumstances are completely different. <clears throat> Boys and girls are very, very different. However, sight and sound hold attraction for both genders. Again, from our text, Proverbs 6 and verse 24, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Men and women must, <clears throat> must be careful in what they say and what they say to each other, especially to those who are married talking to someone other than their spouse. We just have to be careful. We have to be careful about, about and, and, and let me just tell you this, that society is totally flipped over backwards about this. Totally flipped inside out about this. 
The, the reason that we should be careful about what we say to the opposite sex is not because of sexual harassment suits, but because of the merit of the verbal. We ought to say those things that are right. And I don't know that we need an example here. Everybody listening to this message knows when a word is unfitly spoken. Everyone here knows when we've said something that we should not have said. For guys, there's a big difference between you look very nice today. And wow, that dress is hot. Huge difference right there. And, and I want to tell you something. Guys, we know the difference. And ladies know the difference as well. We, we must earn new merit badges in our lives, merit badges of the visual, merit badges of the verbal, merit badges of the virtual. You, you may recall, and, and that I'm talking about reality here, practical matters. You may recall that the story of, of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Through a series of events, Joseph found himself in a position of authority in the house of an uh, Egyptian man, a man of rank, uh, whose name was Potiphar. Literally, Joseph was given full reign of his house. Whatever Joseph needed to take care of to handle the business of Potiphar, he was given that authority. Now, <clears throat> Potiphar had a wife. The only thing I know her by is Mrs. Potiphar. Uh, I don't know that she ever, that a name was ever revealed for her, but there are two things that I can tell you about Mrs. Potiphar. She was both a looker and a hooker. She was both of those things. <clears throat> she went after Joseph in every way possible until one day she grabbed him from the clothes, uh, by the clothes, and, and she said to him, let's go, me and you, right now upstairs she grabbed him and and he literally ran out of his clothes he left her holding his coat while he ran I, I visualize him running naked through the fields <clears throat> this moral choice was one that was a very practical choice for Joseph he, here's what he said to her just before streaking out the door Genesis 39 9 he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph said, look, I have a, a moral merit that I must hold on to here. Not only is it visual, and not only is it uh, verbal, but it's virtual. It's, it's a very practical thing. I've <clears throat> I need to be able to see that thing, and you need to be able to see the, the merit of me not doing what I'm about to do or what you want me to do. Joseph made a practical decision, and it was based on three criteria. His first criteria was that this is the responsible thing. This is responsible. There was, his future was at stake. Everything was at stake. This is the responsible thing. Sometimes you have to think this is the responsible thing. I've, I've said before that you can be walking through the mall down the street, you can be driving in your car in downtown Tallahassee, you can be on Florida State's campus, whatever it may be, and, and a guy or girl have a thought, see something, 
uh, some, maybe, maybe I, I'm a guy, so I have more guy illustrations. Maybe uh, this, this really uh, uh, smoking chick walks across in front of you there, and, and, and she is on fire, and, and, and I mean, there's, there's no way around it. I mean, she walked right there in front of your car at the light. Now, I'm just here to tell you, I'm being honest with you, you can't stop the bird from lighting on your head. You just can't stop that. That bird's going to light on your head, and you go, whoa. Now, here's what you can do. You can keep it from building a nest. If she walks across in front of you, and, and you're going straight, and she goes across, and, and she goes that way, and you turn your blinker on, mm-mm, that ain't good. <clears throat> That's not the right thing. That's not the responsible thing. You have to remember who you are. You have to remember what you're trying to do. You, you have to remember those things. It's responsible. Secondly, uh, his decision was sensible. This was his boss's wife. It made no sense whatsoever for him to do what she was asking him to do. And then thirdly, it is spiritual. God had expectations of his life, and he had determined to live by those expectations. Now, folks, from how we dress to what we say, there must be a sense of practical responsibility for the moral state of the world in which we live. I am responsible to uphold the moral state of this world. I, you know, a guy like me, I, I, you, don't, you ladies don't look at me and go, woohoo. <clears throat> you may use those same syllables, but uh, it comes out differently. Ooh, ooh. <clears throat> so it's not the visual, it's, it's verbal. I have to be careful what I say. I don't want to say, you, you say, Pastor Ray, you're an old man. I know, but I'm, I look good. <laughs> I do. I have to be responsible for that. We have to be responsible. I'm, I'm here to tell you, there is a spiritual obligation that all of us have to be responsible about how we present ourselves. There's a morality of merit and, and virtue missing in America today. Not only, uh, not only should we uh, be careful about relationships outside of, of our marriage, but we should be careful on every level. Did you know that, that Congress has decided through, through a, a health care act called Affordable Health Care, I think is what it's called, <clears throat> that they've decided that, that birth control uh, and, and, you know, all the way up to and including, uh, you know, the morning after pill and all that, they've decided that that is a right of Americans and that, that, that we have to pay that. Those things, do you think those things are promoting morality in America? No. They're not promoting the kind of merit that we want to live our lives by and we want our children to live their lives by. There's a morality of merit. Let me go on very quickly. There's also the morality of makeup. Here's an interesting passage from the, Levitic, the Levitical law of Moses. This is from Levit Levitical law. Leviticus 18 and 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That's just a simple moral law. Now, I know that many people have worked hard for a long time to change the public perception of this lifestyle. But all of that work has not changed the Bible. It has just not changed it at all. 
Now, <clears throat> I'm going to do a lot of, uh, I'm going to say some things right here that's, that's going to elicit, you know, if, if I were that guy that, that tests the audience and shows the meter of how they're doing, it'll go way up here. But <clears throat> some of, you're also, some of you are going to drop off. I know that many of us have in our families and in our lives those who are living this life. When we have friends and friends who have children and so on. This is a serious problem in our world today. It is a problem in the world because for one reason, it's a problem to God. The, the title of this series is not Election 2012. The title of this series is Our Wicked Ways. We have a problem in our country, and the problem is our wicked ways. We're, we're not singling out anybody, but there is a moral crisis in the world today. Let me show you what the, the Bible has to say of, of that which is outside of God's design. Romans 1.26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave, up, uh, likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. Now that is straight from God's Word. It was, look, it was there when I was born. And it's been there for all these 62 years. It was there before I was born. I didn't write that. You didn't write that. <clears throat> That's in the Word of God. And I want to tell you something. Our country has, is, and has turned its back on the Word of God. Now, I'm just going to say this, and I want you to hear me and love me before, during, and after. For the first time in the history of our country, we have a political party that has added gay marriage as part of the party platform on which all of their candidates must run. We're in a true mess, folks. Now, I'm not suggesting that you not love your family members who are in this trap any more than I'd tell you not to love your family members who may be ruining their lives with alcohol or gambling or any other sin. There is a national issue of where this is taking us, but there's a spiritual issue of where it could, uh, could uh, take us, those in, in this circle of life. Here's what the Bible says about those, and I, and I don't like this verse. I read it with great hesitation. I read it knowing that people you love are facing this very issue. But 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. How, how would you treat any member of your family or circle of friends who have a problem with any other destructive sin? What if you have a, a, a son or a daughter or a cousin or a nephew or a niece or whatever who, who had the problem of of gambling or the problem of drugs or so forth. What would you do? How would you deal with them? I know the world is telling you differently, but the gay lifestyle is a sin. But listen to me, listen to me. There is a way that we got there. The gay lifestyle is a sin, as is adultery is a sin, as is pornography a sin. 
These things are sins in our country. These are our wicked ways in our country. You have to hear this and please, that, please believe that it comes from a loving God who wants to deliver us from evil. He doesn't want us to continue in evil. I hesitate to share this one more verse with you, but to be uh, honest on the impact of this, it, I, I'm, I'm afraid that, that we, would, we could brush it aside. Earlier I read to you from the Levitical law. In Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. Uh, it is an abomination. <clears throat> the very next verse says, you shall not lie, uh, it says you shall not lie with a male as a female, but the very next verse says, and you shall not lie with any animal and make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is a perversion. You say, come on, Pastor Ray. <laughs> Seriously? You really think that we're going there? I got to tell you, when I was a 10-year-old boy and, and found that magazine in the culvert underneath Preston Drive, I never had any idea that there was something called homosexuality. I didn't have an idea. I didn't know. You say, well, your parents sure did shelter you. Yes, they did. And it was good for me. It was good for our society. But Pastor Ray, I just don't believe that. I respect you so much, but I'm here to tell you, this is not something I'm giving an opinion on. This is something that is in the Word of God, and it's in the, the world today. And I know this idea of bestiality is unthinkable, but consider what has come from the unmentionable to mainstream in just a few short decades. We're in a moral crisis, and we have to consider the morality of merit or virtue and the morality of makeup or the design of God. And what is the design of God? Well, that's the morality of marriage. That's the design of God. Here's the design as Jesus stated it in Matthew 19.4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. An understanding of marriage as God intended it is basic to returning America back to morality. We have to understand, according to most sources, uh, ushers lock the doors. <clears throat> according to most sources, about 60% of the couples today live together before marriage or they never marry at all today. Again, this is something that's come from the unthinkable to the mainstream in a few short decades. I think, I think it was accelerated during the hippie days, during my generation, the free love days. I think it was accelerated back in then. But I will tell you <clears throat> that it was unmentionable. People didn't, they just didn't do that. They didn't live together. And, and folks, I have no doubt that we encounter this in every circle of our lives, including church on Sunday. So, Pastor Rake, I mean, do you really want to say that? 
Look, this isn't a trophy case where we come to show off how shiny we are. This is a clinic where we come and, and diagnose our needs and get the adjustments made. You say, well, Pastor Ray, are, are you against uh, those uh, couples that are living together? I am for those people, but I am against the assault on marriage. And the Bible is too. According to Jesus, that's not what God intended. Let's look at that passage we just read on three different levels. First of all, the intent of God. When God created Eve from the side of Adam, it was with the intention that they spend their lives together, and they did. They did spend their lives together. I'm not going to revisit points made earlier, but you have to know that God clearly intended for men and women to marry, for men to marry women and women to marry men. <clears throat> From the fact of reproduction to the understanding of the different needs brought to the marriage by men and women, it's the intent of God for man to be with a woman. That is the intention of God, the intent of God promotes the morality of marriage. The intent of marriage promotes the morality of marriage. The intent of marriage, what was it? <clears throat> it was for the guy to leave his parents and commit himself to his wife, to the girl. <clears throat> That's marriage as God intended it. Did you know that the first miracle that Jesus did was at a wedding? <clears throat> the very first one was at a wedding. He chose a wedding that's where he turned the water into wine. Folks, living together outside of the commitment of marriage is outside of the intent and the will of God. Now, please don't get mad at me for telling you the truth, but that is the truth. In fact, just as married people are forbidden from adultery, all sexual immorality uh, is outside of the will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The, the way to remedy a situation like this in your life is to get married. But pastor, I'm not ready for that commitment. If you're not ready for that commitment, leave that house. Get out of there. Stop it. Stop it. You say, but we have children. We have children. Then you're ready for that commitment. You say, no, I'm not, but you have children. Yeah, but we're just kind of waiting till we're ready to settle down. You have children. They need for you to be married. And they need for you to model marriage in, in the home. With 60, the 60% 60 rate of, of couples living together outside the model of marriage, America needs to turn from her wicked ways. And it needs to start with God's people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is not a problem about those people. It's a problem about his people. That's me and that's you. 
many years ago in Nashville, I led a couple to the Lord in their living room. Never will forget it. <clears throat> led this couple to the Lord in their living room. And turns out they weren't married. More unusual back then than it is today, but they weren't married. They were living together. <clears throat> they asked me what they should do. I mean, they got truly born again, radically saved. And they said, well, what, sh what should we do? And I said, well, you need to get married. They said, really? Yeah, you need to get married. Marriage is not, <clears throat> a lack of marriage is not what was sending you to hell. A lack of be belief is what was sending you to hell. But now that you're believers, <clears throat> you need to get yourselves married. And so they went to the courthouse and they got a marriage certificate. And we married them on a Sunday morning in our church. Our church <clears throat> filled their car with wedding gifts, and this couple, who were living in sin, became leading members of our church in Nashville. Leading members of our church. <clears throat> they taught Sunday school. They worked with children. They were involved in every, everything that we had. They sang in the choir up front on Sunday morning the other visitors came and there was that couple who at one time were living in sin had gotten gloriously saved and baptized and married and they stood up there and they sang about Jesus on Sunday morning now you know how our church responded to that we responded the way we should have we despised the sin but we loved the sinner so much so that we respected who they became instead of remembering who they used to be we just respected who they became. This is exactly how Jesus dealt with a woman at the well who was living in sin, but he was, <clears throat> but he was so eager uh, to see her become the, purpose, uh, the person that she knew that she should be. Go home and read John chapter 3. <clears throat> that'll tell you, or 4, that'll tell you about, about how we should be responding to those people who were once in sin but have uh, come to Jesus Christ. In the book of Matthew, Jesus states the morality of marriage. He shows the intent of God. He shows the intent of marriage. And finally, the intent of relationship. In Matthew 19, 6, So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. To really make this happen, there must be a common cause shared between a husband and wife. Is there a common cause shared in your marriage? One flesh hurts all over when another part of it uh, hurts when, whenever it's one flesh. One flesh is careful about the tender parts of the rest of that one body. One flesh never deliberately inflicts pain on itself. One flesh seeks a peaceful environment. One flesh works hard to compensate for and strengthen the weaker parts of the body. One flesh is harmonious, gracious, loving, and kind. One flesh commits for a lifetime uh, of fighting off injury and illness to pursue good health and happiness until the dying breath. That's what happens when it's one flesh. And that's the intent of God regarding marriage, is that they become, we become one flesh. There's a lot to consider in the message today. Consider the campaign of this world to rob us of our innocence and, and make light of our beliefs. I'm not a hater. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not a hater. I, I, I don't hate people who are in the gay lifestyle. I don't hate people who are living together outside the bonds of marriage. I, I'm not a hater. 
I'm really not. But I want to be a truth teller. And the truth is that this is outside of the will and the stated purpose of God. Consider the campaign of this world to rob us of our innocence. Consider the right thing to do in our relationship and how we might help those that we love to live ways that please the Lord. We must consider our own morality in this day of immorality. We must consider the intensity of our resolve to be one flesh and all that that should mean. I'll tell you what I would do if, if I were sitting in this sermon today. I would think about the importance of building into my children and into my family the virtues of morality. I would try to help my family and myself to earn the merit badge of the visual, the merit badge of the verbal, the merit badge of the virtual, the practical merit badges of trying to live a life that, that promotes what God wanted. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week at this same time for the Family Bible Hour.